Welcome to the IAM Podcast. My name is Carl Weaver, and I'm the website content manager at IAM. If you have feedback about this podcast or our website, you can contact me at carl.weaver at iamovers.org. One of the big things at IAM this week was IAM announced that it is taking the 2020 annual meeting virtual. So there's not going to be a an in-person meeting in San Diego as originally planned. Uh, we are taking it all online and that offers new possibilities and opportunities. And with me right now is IAM's Vice President, Brian Limperopoulos. So Brian, do you want to talk about this a little and tell us what, uh, what we have to look forward to? Yeah, hey Carl, uh, thanks for uh, kind of introducing that, uh, you know, the, the idea now that we have to take um, our conference to a virtual setting. Unfortunately this year, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic is ruining everything. And, uh, you know, our traditional in-person conference is just not going to be able to be held uh, in a safe and secure manner for our attendees. That's our paramount concern uh, when holding these events. So obviously with what's going on, we've had to transition the event to a virtual setting. And, you know, in, in the ePortal, we talk about the platform we're using. It's a company called SwapCard. We're really excited about this platform and it's going to allow you to network with your fellow members, learn uh, directly from, you know, experts with whom we engage, conduct demonstrations, at, you know, if you're an exhibitor at your booth, your virtual booth, uh, and nurture relationships with others uh, in your field. I think the, the key for us, if we can zoom out to a higher level though, Carl, is, you know, IEM is a community. And, you know, so many of our members come to our conference, not just for the professional networking, the learning opportunities, but for the social opportunities as well. And we are nothing without this community of members. So IEM, regardless, is going to take every, uh, opportunity to make this as valuable for all of you uh, you know i think there's going to be rightly some skepticism from the members about uh, you know what a virtual conference has for us but we want you to know that we're going to make this into an event that's going to have value for your companies whether it's connecting you with clients whether it's building relationships with a potentially new business partner you know, this swap card platform has some AI capabilities that's going to connect you in serendipitous ways. Um, so, you know, yes, I think people are a bit uh, experiencing that Zoom fatigue. You know, Carl, I think you and I probably have some Zoom fatigue, right? <laughs> but yes. but I, I think this is going to be an interactive and fun event that y you're going to want to build into your schedule. So, you know, the, the e-portal shares some information about it, but stay tuned for more information as we, as we start to drip things out about the program uh, and, and all that. So, you know, just something to keep in mind, but we're sticking to that original schedule, which is October 21 through the 23rd. It's something I, I'm excited about, Brian, is that I think this, uh, you know, moving it to online, that's going to lower the price point for attending. And we're still working on that, so we we're, we don't have that released yet. But uh, what it's what that allows our members to do is to still attend and save money, and hopefully we'll bring in members who maybe 
haven't attended before because of the cost of, you know, coming to the U.S. or coming to wherever in the U.S. and spending most of a week and, you know, the travel and food and stuff, that could easily add up, you know, if you include registration to $5,000 or more uh, per person. And uh, I, I think bringing this down to a much lower price point gives us the opportunity to include those members who maybe couldn't come before. I think that's a really key point. And I think that's going to be one thing that, you know, we're trying to do in this conversation, but we're going to be doing throughout the next few weeks and months is, is trying to communicate out to, you know, our listeners right here and our members that this is a re-envisioned event where there's going to be a lot more learning. There's going to be a, a lot more kind of conversations about what's going on in the industry. And there is an opportunity there for people who you would never have sent to the annual meeting at your company to join us for this conference and learn and become more connected to the industry. You know, when I was a move coordinator um, in the industry, I worked every day on email with, you know, people around the world. It wasn't until I became a, a staff member at IAM that I got to see who these people were and to talk with them face to face and build up a relationship. So, you know, for your move coordinators or for your rates people or for your sales and move consultants, these people can then engage with their partners around the world uh, through this platform. It may not be the same look and feel as the IAM annual meeting that we love and uh, that we all know and love, but it's, it, it can bring more opportunities to your company and to some of your employees. So IAM has uh, some videos that we're releasing on, where it's going to be on our YouTube channel, and we're going to have it on the IAMmeetings.com uh, uh, website about how to use SwapCard, uh, which is, and it's not just about how to use it, it's about the opportunities that you'll have as an attendee to uh, maybe make those personal connections online because you can't make them in person this year, as well as uh, as an exhibitor, what your exhibit booth might look like, a virtual exhibit booth. And, and we're, you know, we've seen, so the, uh, the, the world of virtual conferences is not, is not new. And it's, even though it's new to us, you know, we have not done it before at IAM. And a lot of our members, I would say probably most people have not been to a real virtual conference. But those of us who have uh, know that it is possible to, for the exhibitors to still have a great experience and potentially, and we're not making this promise, but there's a potential there, especially at a lower exhibitor price or lower attendee price point for there to be more people there than yeah. could come in person. And again, we don't know yet what that's going to shape up to be but we're hoping that's going to be what we see yeah and and it's not just going to be a lower attendee price point so the potential exists to get more bodies to sell to <laughs> not not to use such crude language but it's going to be a lower exhibitor price point so it's going to drive your your sales and marketing budget down if you're an exhibitor and you know particularly if you have a physical product to show like a software or some, um, you know, other types of products, you will have capability through the, uh, the system that we create in order to showcase your product. So, you know, I think all in all, it's, it's, it, we, we're confident that 
you know, once our members start to see it and start to see the program that we're building out, they're going to see how we're reimagining this, you know, what, what is kind of, I think people clam up a bit when they hear virtual conference. I, I think we're reimagining the event of the annual meeting and uh, I, I stay tuned for more details on that. And from a technical standpoint, I know early on when, when uh, COVID-19 started rearing its ugly head and we saw a lot of conferences cancel that were maybe in March and April and May, uh, we started talking about this early on. And I put together a, uh, a way for us to do that, to, to hold the conference ourselves using Zoom and a number of other tools and stitching a bunch of stuff together. And it, it probably would have worked, but we realized quickly that we're not in the business of, um, of figuring out how to, how to do this when other people already know how to do that. Um, so we really turned to the experts. You know, we balanced that. Could we do it? Possibly. We found experts who, knew, who do this all the time and have been doing it for years. And we found a really good product in Swapcard. I know it, the uh, staff is very excited uh, for the members to see it and see what it can do for us. And, yeah. you know, there's, we don't know what the future holds in terms of, you know, will we do this next year? Will we need to? Will COVID-19 still be here? Will that be necessary again? Maybe. We don't know, obviously. Uh, but there's a possibility to also have blended events, hybrid events that are part virtual, part in person. And um, I think it's more opportunity than it is a problem when we start looking at it. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of opportunity here to do different things, to include more people and to include people differently. Yeah. So for I, sure. I'm really hopeful about it. Yeah, I, I think all those are good points. And uh, yeah, so stay tuned for more details. Uh, I want to jump down to the next uh, article that we had in the, uh, the ePortal, which is, I think, another interesting development you know, that IAM is bringing to the, to the membership and to the industry. And this is, you know, the launch of the IAM Trusted Move Specialist. Uh, yeah, the intent of this is to designate or provide formal recognition to industry members who are demonstrating competence and understanding of, you know, the, uh, the industry knowledge, the skills, and globally accepted industry guidelines and standards that we're educating members on through I Am Learning. And, and, you know, it's good that Carl um, is on here because he's a certified association executive. Uh, a CAE, which is conferred by the uh, American Society of Association Executives, which is an association for associations, really. Um, and so I am staff belongs to ASAE, and that's how we get our own professional development in order to do our jobs better. So, you know, Carl, we're launching this trusted move specialist. Um, to, to make this available to the industry. Can you kind of talk about what the CAE means for you? And uh, you know, and then I think we can connect it back to our members as to why they, this is a positive development for them. Sure, uh, thanks for asking, Brian. It's, um, so the CAE, it's a designation that's given, as Brian said, by, the, by ASAE. And it's not just given, it's earned. Uh, it's something that um, you have to, have 
X number. I can't remember what the number is today. It was something like a hundred hours of, yeah. of, um, of training and education, all, all these things. And then you have to, so you get that within a certain number of years. And then you have to take an exam, which is a brutal exam. It's four hours long. There are 200 questions. And it's just, um, it's, it's like, um, it's like your worst physical education class nightmare. You know, everyone's sweating and writing and stuff. And, you know, it's, and only about uh, 60 to 70% of people pass, which sounds like a lot, but you don't know at the end what your score is. But anyway, getting back to here, what's nice about that is that at the end, if you get the CAE designation, it means that you are, competent in all the different facets of association management and what it means to be an association executive. Uh, as an individual, what that means is that I'm more, I, I, I'm saying this in front of Brian, who's our boss, but it means that I'm more uh, competitive on an open market yeah. um, as an individual. Um, it also means that uh, I've, I've done a lot of things to train myself and People respect that in our industry. And I think it's going to be the same thing. This is brand new, the trusted move specialist. People are going to look at you differently when you have that. And there, Brian, I understand there is a component of this that has to do with continuing education, right? Yeah, I, I, you know, we're still working through that a bit. Um, you know, obviously, I think we want to encourage all of these people to, you know, learning is a lifelong pursuit and we want to make sure that we're both incentivizing that as well as providing that pathway for people to do that this is really the first step and you know carl what you described with the cae is you know in my mind kind of a a longer term goal right where we we maybe set up a certified moving professional um where where you know, a trusted move specialist is kind of the entryway point to demonstrate your competency and your proficiency in our industry. You know, that could build towards a certified moving professional or something along those lines. And so, you know, one way we're trying to, uh, you know, recognize these individuals, and we've had three people obtain the trusted move specialist uh, designation since we launched about a week or two ago is to recognize these people we if you go on to mobility exchange and if you search for people like rich stewart from jk moving terence we from uh smart relocators in singapore and abalash nair from iss relocations in dubai they'll have a special designation on their mobility exchange platform so what we're trying to do is say as an association and as an industry, training and professional development is important. And we want you to obtain, uh, you know, these, uh, this learning and demonstrate competency. And we're gonna give you a, a couple of rewards for that. And it's through this designation that we're really trying to recognize and reward people who take that next step. And, and something we've talked about a lot at IEM over the past, and we've talked about these uh, certification programs over the last several years. Um, and it's really starting to come together with the help of I Am Learning. And the difference is, so there's sometimes you take a course and you get a certificate 
And sometimes you take lots and lots of courses and you get a certification and then you have to go back and do the continuing education stuff like yeah. that to maintain it. So the way to think about this, and again, we're still at the infancy of this concept, but a certificate is something you get and the certification is something you earn and you have to keep earning it over time. And that's where I'd like to see us go, Brian. I, I think this is a great first step. And I know uh, Ray De Silva's and his team, is they've done great work putting together a number of certificate programs already. Uh, and, and these trainees are, are really good, the ones I've seen. So I think this is a pretty exciting development. Yeah, and, and that's a good point. I mean, I went through the move coordinator training that uh, we designed. And you know, I, I worked as a move coordinator trainer a train a move coordinator for several years. I was privileged to attend the BD Essentials and International Moving Course, uh, which is an excellent uh, professional development opportunity. And going through the move coordinator training that you know we've designed for I am Learning, and taking the tests, the quizzes after each um, specific module, I learned a lot. Uh, you know, maybe maybe I forgot some stuff, but. You know, Ray, um, you know, our course designer, Ray De Silva, you know, had 30 uh, odd years in, in the business and he developed, you know, Brown University. So there's a lot of good stuff in there. If you haven't looked at it, I, I think it is very well worthwhile. And if you're looking at it from a cost benefit analysis, all of you have, uh, you know, a lot of our IM members who will listen to this have to hire move coordinators or have to hire residential sales consultants and it takes time to train those people i mean you need to train these people and make sure that they know what they're talking about we're never going to substitute the training that you have to imbue into each employee to communicate the culture for your company but what we can do is communicate and educate around the industry standards that have been developed for you know, military moving and global move coordination and residential sales training. And that's what I am learning is really good at doing. So take a look at, at what's going on in I am learning. Take a look at the trust and move specialists. And we think we're, we're really developing something that's going to be very valuable for our members to um, take into the future. Speaking of I am learning, there's a whole host of on-demand webcasts there that you can see. I Am Learning puts on a number of live events, and uh, but they're not over just because the time elapses. So what we do is we record these and we put them online so that even though maybe you can't attend the in-person event, you can still watch it later and learn from industry experts and learn from the panel that's on these um, on these, uh, uh, I don't know what the word is. These webcasts. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I am learning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm. This is one of the things that I'm most excited about, and and we're going to be taking this stuff into the annual meeting. Um, we're we're orienting to much more of a uh, of an interesting content focus. This podcast is just one element, one platform of that, or plank of that platform. But the webcasts are another. And we've had some, I, I think, some really interesting webcasts over the last, you know, six, seven, eight weeks. And they're, they're really looking at the industry from 
a few different opportunities. I want to highlight the first thing here, which is the digital transformation in the customer experience. We brought together, um, you know, a very visible client in the industry, which is the World Bank, Ignacio Alcalde. Uh, from the World Bank joined us for that panel and we we had a kind of an end-to-end -end look at what's going on in the digital space and how we can collectively transform the customer experience to make it much easier um, uh, for your customers to move. So what does that mean? It means that we collect data um, at a virtual survey and do we have to turn around when we go and pack up a uh, shipper's goods, pack up the shipper's good and create a whole new inventory? Or can we have that data that is collected at the survey flow down to the inventory stage when there's packing? And then when it's loading, and then when it's being delivered, and then when it's being, when the claims process is happening. In many cases, we're duplicating effort, and we want to encourage all of our members to you know, join these webcasts because some of the ideas that are being shared there will transform the industry, not just for the benefit of the customer, but for all of us. Um, it would make it easier on your coordinators. It would make it easier on your surveyors. It would make it easier on your packing and loading staff and the delivery staff. So, you know, that, that's just the first webcast we have here. Uh, you know, David Cox from JK Moving, Sid Mahan from Yembo, Boris Popolo from Willis Towers Watson joined um, Ignacio as panelists on that. But we've had some other great panels and we're gonna be bringing uh, other very interesting concepts to all of you over the next few weeks and into the virtual conference and what we hope is that this is just going to be a permanent thing that IAM does for all of you. So we're really excited about, uh, about the webcast. It's just another way for us to engage and, and connect and educate our members. And something nice about the webcast is that it's not, um, like you mentioned, Ray Silver earlier, who's obviously, uh, you know, he's, he's sort of running these, but he's, it's, not, it's not just Ray telling you how, how business works. He's bringing in and we're bringing in people who are, uh, maybe uh, corporate leaders in other co other companies, other countries, and we're all learning from each other. Uh, so it's not a lecture format. It's very much an interactive format. And it's people coming from different perspectives, sharing what they have learned and what they see as best practices. Yeah, so that's a good point. Yeah, so it's yeah. not just, you know, it's not this is how you do it, like you sometimes see in a school setting. It's this is how I did it. Yeah, and, and that's something we did with another webcast, which was, you know, focused around FMC compliance, which, you know, we had an expert on there, a longtime industry veteran, John Roller, who's an FMC uh, practitioner. But what we did was we had everybody and we encouraged everybody to turn on their webcam. And we had kind of a free-flowing interactive conversation because you know, John can't know everything, IAM can't know everything, and the questions that came from your fellow members really led to a really rich conversation about, oh, this is how we're doing it over here, uh, you know, this is, I'm a man line, and this is how I encourage compliance for my agents, you know, things of that nature. So I, I think it, it's more of like a roundtable in some of these cases where 
you know, we have kind of a free flow of ideas and it, it really leads to a better understanding among every participant. Yeah, and something like the uh, what John Roller was talking about, you know, uh, regulations and things like that are sometimes moving targets, you know, and sometimes it's, you know, nobody really knows because you look at one one line of code and, and it uh, negates a previous line of code you read, uh, you know, in these uh, very cryptic laws. And so having someone like him who's been through it and has been doing this for a long time is really helpful. Uh, because sometimes he, you know, the laws seem to contradict themselves. You know, it yeah. takes a lot of interpretation and dicing and slicing to really figure it out. For sure. The Move for Hunger recently posted its quarter two uh, report, and they've delivered more than 1.1 million pounds of food during the COVID-19 pandemic. They also have a list of their top five agents uh, for the second quarter of 2020. Brian, what do you have to say about Move for Hunger? Uh, well, longtime partner um, of IAM, it's 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 an organization that you know this is going to sound really kind of canned, but we're really privileged to be a partner with Move for Hunger, and it's it's an organization. Adam, in particular, has built something. I remember Adam started Move for Hunger a few, maybe a year or a few months prior to you know me joining IAM back in 2009 and to see what they had built and to see the, the, the concrete um, quantifiable relief that they're delivering to people who are really struggling. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of destitution out there right now. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's something that's really gratifying to see what Adam's built and, you know, to, put the spotlight on our members, the top three, Ace, Beltman, and Flatrate, just going really above and beyond. Uh, you know, Ace, you know, quantified, you know, what Move for Hunger is quantifying, they delivered 19,500 meals to people um, in quarter two alone. So that's real relief that's being provided. And it, it's just, it's an awesome thing for the industry. And it's just something that we're, we're privileged to be a part of. And especially right now, Brian, during the COVID-19 problem, uh, there are a lot of people, I, I know all over the world, but certainly here in the U.S. where Move for Hunger does most of what it does, a lot of people who've been out of work, and if you're out of work, that means you don't have money. If you don't have money, you can't buy food. Food insecurity is a huge problem right now. It always is, but it's, uh, it's especially big right now. And with the kids out of school, you know, if you're someplace, I don't know if there's anywhere in the U.S. right now with schools open, I mean, obviously it's summer, but mm -hmm. um, you know, when kids are sent home from school and they can't go to school anymore, that for a lot of families, that's a food insecurity problem. Yeah. You know, there are some kids and some families who depend on the food that the kids eat at school for part uh, significant savings in their food budget every week. Yeah. Uh, so this is, you know, they're really doing very important work there. And uh, I remember I, when I first joined IAM and I went to my first annual meeting, I met, I didn't really know what Move for Hunger was. I didn't really, I, I didn't really get a great explanation. And I met Adam and he's just this, this super energetic guy and really friendly. And, and he, he explained it to me in about two minutes. I was like, oh, okay, that, that's great. Very important work they've been doing for quite a long time. So I know we're, we're very proud to partner with them. Yeah. 
Well, thank you to Move for Hunger. Thank you for the members who are, are doing such great work. Um, and you can read more about it in the ePortal, of course. And uh, you know, let, let's go down to the next one. And I might just cop the microphone a bit here, Carl, uh, <laughs> because this is kind of in my wheelhouse. Uh, you know, give a special recognition to our friends at Move for You. Um, you know, in the Netherlands, who adopted the ISO 17451-1 household good inventory standard. Uh, you know, when people hear the word standard, their their eyes glaze over a bit, but this is important. And uh, I wanna sh share why it's important because what they're doing, Move For You, is they're saying that we have our own tool, but we want it to communicate not just with Move for You companies, so companies who have Move for You software, but we want it to communicate with companies who don't use Move for You software. And the this household good inventory standard creates the ability for uh, these software companies to. Um, basically translate their own inventory standards that they build into their own programs and allow it to uh, transmit data between the two different uh, software platforms. So move for you is our second adopter that has voluntarily uh, verified their, uh, the uh, adoption of the inventory standard. Uh, we highlight that on mobility exchange. And uh, the other company is Yembo. So these companies, theoretically, if they built a, uh, you know, a, a connection between them, could transmit the data and it could be captured in different languages. Right now, the ISO standard captures data in German, French, English, and Spanish. We have aspirations to uh, encode more data into different languages. That's where we're at right now. But this is a huge step forward for the industry. And you know, there's gonna be more information coming out in the next few months about how we plan to take this small, this, this small but meaningful step and turn it into larger steps for the entire industry. Right, it, my understanding, Brian, is that it allows you to quantify um, very granular information about a shipment about what's in it, how many things, where you're, if there's a mark on it, like a blemish at yeah. origination, you can quantify that and have it, uh, you know, translated into a code. The person receiving the shipment gets the set of codes and it translates into their language, uh, hopefully, or, or into, you know, one of those several languages you enumerated. And then you don't have to figure out, well, what does, what does this mean in my language? You know, it's literally translated out. And that's, that's a big thing. You know, it really helps jump the language barrier. Yeah, and, and just to kind of spell it out, like Carl, you know, we're both sitting at desks right now recording this. Like that desk has a unique code in, uh, you know, the inventory standard. You talked about the blemishes. We can numerically code into... Uh, we have numeric codes in the standard that say, okay, there's a scratch. And where is that scratch? It's on the right front leg. All that data is being numerically codified. It, we are numerically codifying where it was picked up at origin. So is it in the bedroom? Is it in the office? We're numerically codifying where it should be delivered at destination. So again, should it be in the bedroom? Should it be in the um, 
uh, in the office at destination. So like you said, it's numerically codifying all the data and making it so that the software system interprets it and then makes it visible in the user interface. So we're not seeing numbers. We're seeing, okay, I'm, I'm the guy who's charged with delivering that desk. I see, okay, uh, the, uh, the company at origin says, okay, it has to be delivered into the office at destination. And it had uh, a scratch on the right front leg. Let's just make sure there's no other scratches on here. But if there is, I can, I can build that into my tool as well. So, I think people hear the word standard and like, I have to, I have to interpret this myself or my crew leader has to interpret this myself. No, what the mover has to do is to tell their software provider to implement it and it will all just show up in the user interface that um, they have designed. And those user interfaces should be very neat and simple and understandable so that everybody can access it. Yeah, let's uh, move down to the next one, Carl. We got the prospective members here. Um, and, you know, every every ePortal, we're either profiling the new members or the prospective members and uh, showing you where they're coming from. So we got pretty good geographic distribution on the July prospective members there. Right. Yeah, I think I, I just counted the points. I'm working off a printout here. I, I counted 10 points here. I'd have to look at the list to make sure there really are 10 companies and maybe there aren't uh, overlaps there. Uh, but one of the great things about this is that on one hand, you get to learn where are the new companies that just came into membership. And you could say, oh, Madagascar, I need, uh, I need to find someone in Madagascar. This is great information. Uh, when it's the prospective members, we want all our members to know who's about to come into membership. Yep. And uh, one reason is that members can, um, can look at that list and say, possibly, we hope this doesn't happen, but they can say, I've done business with this company and they still owe me $5,000. Exactly. And so they're not a good member. Uh, they're not a good potential member. And we want to keep IAM membership valuable. And this is one of the ways we do it. Uh, we need to be able to say, hey, this isn't right. What we also want to do is have members look at this and say, oh, awesome. We've got a new member coming in from Madagascar. That's great because I need someone there. Sure. But yeah, I, I think you're right. There's a perception out there that IAM just lets anybody in who pays a fee. And, you know, that's particularly frustrating to me because, you know, I'm at the, uh, I'm, I'm the person who's kind of been at the forefront of this, uh, you know, for the last 10, almost 11 years. And I can tell you, we have, you know, two objections right now that we're considering on members, you know, so that's an important part of the prospective member, you know, like process is going in, looking at it. Like Carl said, if they owe you money, submit an objection. They're not yet a member until they pass through that process. And so we, we do reject memberships. We do uh, cross-check uh, pro prospective members against the data that we collect. So if a company or the principals of that company um, either owe money or have owed money to members in the past, we'll hold that membership application until we get confirmation from the creditor that the debt has been resolved. If there's ethical issues, we'll hold that membership application as well. 
So, uh, you know, we need all of you, you know, our members to understand that this is not, this is a tool for you, not just to find potential new partners, but also to make sure that there's nobody getting into the membership that, um, you know, may constitute a threat to the network. And so you have a responsibility to help us out in that regard if you want to keep the, the membership um, secure and, uh, you know, uh, ensure that, you know, your fellow partners in the network aren't getting, um, you know, there, there's nobody coming in that's a bad apple, essentially. Right. And that kind of leads us into our next part, which is our alleged debtor list, which uh, we're, it, it seems you guys love. It seems like our members like that, right, Carl? That's the truth. You know, when every time we look at the uh, stats on the ePortal, we can see no matter where we put the story, people seek it out. They want to see who's on the alleged debtor list. And that's a, a list that changes quite often. So I, I think it's important that we put it in there and remind people to look at it. So why don't you tell us what is the alleged debtor list, Brian? Yeah, so, and this dovetails in with the one, with our, uh, you know, reporting people to the RPP. So the alleged debtor list is a collection of IAM member companies who are allegedly not paying their invoices to other members. And the way we, we get to that is our intervention process. So let's take, uh, you know, if you're listening to this, if your company performed a service for another IAM member and you're not receiving payment on that invoice for the service you render, you can report that company who's not paying your invoice to IAM. And we will intervene on your behalf if certain conditions are met. If after three interventions, the debt is still unresolved, we will post that company, that member company on the alleged debtor list. Um, that is our, our stick to compel people to pay off their invoices. Now, one other aspect of this is you go through that intervention process and the debt is still out there. If that company, the debtor, the delinquent company owes 10,000 uh, US dollars or more to you or a collection of IAM member companies, we can then expel that company from the membership. So these two aspects are really important in ensuring that um, we identify bad payers quickly and uh, we have processes in which to highlight those bad payers and then potentially to expel them from the association. Right, and uh, one of the things that I understand is critical, Brian, is that a, uh, for this to be valid, a valid submission, the claim can't be more than 120 days old. So that means 120 days past due, correct? Or past the time that the invoice was sent? Yeah, so the Receivable Protection Program has two processes. Um, the first, which I just described, is the intervention process. That's what leads into the alleged debtor uh, uh, list. And then there's the compensation process. The intervention process has no limitation on when you can file. If you, ha if you have a debt owed by another member and it's 3,000 US dollars or more, we will intervene on it uh, after 120 days. This is where it gets a bit confusing. So we'll wait four months, and if the debt is still outstanding, we will then intervene on your behalf. Now there's the second process, which is the compensation process. And that 
we need to be uh, aware of the debt at least. Uh, no, we need to be aware of the debt before it elapses 120 days. So what that means is I've performed a service. I invoice um, my fellow IAM member company who ordered that service on July 1st. I have not gotten paid and it is, uh, let's say August 1, September 1, October 1. It's October 1st, I still haven't gotten paid. It's three months past due, uh, 90 days past due. I have 30 days in which to report it to IAM or else it's not eligible for the RPP compensation. Um, so that's where it gets a little bit confusing. And what I encourage members to do is forget about the 120 days for the intervention. Make sure you get, you know, I like to say, when it's 60, past, 60 days past due, you're letting IAM do, know about that. We have just created a new claim filing process on Mobility Exchange, and that's one other article here in the ePortal. In the e and I've recorded a video showing you how to do it on uh, Mobility Exchange. Um, but you can go in and you can tell your collection staff or you can do this yourself. Any, any receivable owed by another IM member, once it hits 60 days past due, you're reporting that to the RPP. That, to me, I would encourage all of our members to do. And through that, you will never have a claim that is denied for that reason. Now, we won't be able to intervene on your behalf until that debt is 120 days past due, but at least you're getting it on the record. So in the event that the delinquent company goes out of business, we will pay you for the value of that invoice. Now, that, that compensation is subject to its own limitations and conditions, but I am, excuse me, paid out over $300,000 last year to 50, I want to say 52 different IAM member companies to compensate them for loss, um, uh, for bad debt owed by other IAM members who went out of business. So the program is working. We resolve 60% of the interventions that we perform. So, um, and that's not an insignificant number. We're getting involved in dozens of interventions each year. Uh, where we intervene with a delinquent company and we resolve that debt at a 60% rate. So it, it is a very valuable program. And our data shows that we're delivering uh, more than 300 US dollars back to each member company through that. So a really important program. And I, I think it's important that all of you know about it. So, and the, the way I think about it, Brian, is if I, if I'm a member company and I have this $3,000 debt owed to me or whatever the amount is above $3,000 and IAM helps me get probably some sizable portion of that back, uh, that can, depending on the member uh, type, that can easily pay for the membership for the year. Easy. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, to me, that's an easy sell. I mean, we paid, uh, I mean, we, we paid probably, 15 to 20 companies more than 10,000 US dollars last year to resolve their debts. Now, unfortunately, you know, they had to take that, that step, but we want everybody to know that there is a safety net there. 
And then that safety net is the RPP. And it, it, it really does serve a purpose to provide security within the network. So when you're trading with one another, you know that you have that recourse. Right, and that's one of the big values of IEM membership. You, yep. If you deal with other IEM members, you've got that protection. For sure. So Carl, the last thing I want to hit on, uh, we have a bunch of member news in, in there, but I, I think um, I, I really want to highlight the one big industry news item from the past week, which was the fact that the lawsuit um, between Serva and Cardis has uh, been thrown out by uh, the judge uh, who was presiding over the lawsuit um, uh, on that merger. So, you know, for anybody who's not aware, you know, uh, you know, I think in the fourth quarter, October of 2019, Serva and Cardis or their parent company, Reology, reached an agreement for Serva to purchase Cardis for several hundred million dollars. And I think right around the time COVID-19 hit, um, you know, it became news that the deal was starting to fall apart and um, it then got tied up in the courts. And so people have been watching this closely for the last few months just to see what's going on and if, if the deal is going to go through, because if it did go through, it'd be easily the biggest relocation management company in the industry. Uh, but now it looks like it's not going to go through. So the real big question I have is where does that leave um, Cardis uh, in, in the marketplace uh, now that, that that deal will not go through? Um, how does Reology, its parent company, what do they do with Cardis? Do they try and re reinvest in it, reinvigorate it, or do they look to sell it uh, to another bidder? So I, I think that's kind of the big uh, big piece of news that's out on the street right now within the industry. but. You know, beyond that, uh, not much else to report on that front. Do you have a prediction for how that's going to shape out? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to engage right? on that. Um, I, I, I'm going to be watching it closely because, like I said, I mean, Cardus is is a huge player in the industry, and they, they hold a lot of contracts on the corporate relocation side, and how that plays out will be important for the industry. Um, but I think for, for, you know, from the perspective of the industry with what was going on with the global household good contract being outsourced to one sole provider and having uh, the potential for Serva and Cardis to join forces, it was just an awful lot of consolidation in the space of a few months or a few years. And it, it does provide a little bit of a, 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 a slowdown in the consolidation that we're seeing. So. You know, we'll, we'll continue to monitor it, but we're going to, you know, highlight these industry issues in our news, um, you know, our IAM news and in the ePortal and all of our other publications. Great. Well, thank you for uh, talking with me today, Brian. I think this has been a great conversation. And uh, will we do this again in two weeks when we uh, put out the next ePortal? Yeah, I, I, I like talking through these things. You know, we put a lot of effort into into trying to bring together this digest of material. And we want to hear from, from all of you about what you're looking for. Um, you know, what sort of industry news? Are we not capturing it for you? Are there other places that are capturing it better? And, and you know, 
at the heart of everything, Carl and I are looking to provide a value for all of you. So let us know, uh, contact, you know, we'll have uh, uh, in the show notes, I think we can provide some contact information. So if I'm on my podcast app, I can look at the notes and, and have an email address. But mine, as always, is brianl at iamovers.org. Uh, Carl, you want to give yours? Sure. My email address is carl.weaver at iamovers.org. And you can also find us, we're both on LinkedIn uh, and a number of other social media sites. So it's easy to find us and you know, we look forward to your questions. Yeah, so I guess thanks for listening. I, I wonder if anybody made it. I hope uh, people didn't get too distracted by my daughter yelling uh, in, in the background or the, the lawnmowers running outside, but uh, this has been fun, Carl. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us, Brian, and we'll talk to you later. All right. Have a good day. You too. Thank you for joining us on the IAM podcast. If there's ever anything you need from IAM, you can always contact us at the contact us page on the IAM website at iamovers.org, or you can simply email membership at iamovers.org. Please subscribe to our podcast and we will talk to you next time.